fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by legendary trainer Teddy Atlas. And today we have a very special guest, Oscar-nominated First Lady of Boxing, Rosie Perez. Rosie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Hi, Good Teddy. Hi, Rosie. Huge honor to have you here. I've well, the Queen of Boxing, you're the, the one. Queen, Queen, First I'll, Lady. I call the Queen. All right. Well, you do love the Brits. <laughs> That's right. He was the first one to say queen of boxing. Yeah. And Al Bernstein was the first to say first, first lady. lady. Okay. It was actually my cousin Sixel. They have a, my cousin Sixel claims that he said it first. Al Bernstein claims that he said it first. And I said, I don't care who said it. I'm just flattered. So. Very nice. I'm, I'm going to go with Sixel. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with your cousin. The legend of six, though. I think he's been banned from a few fights for cursing. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nah, he's a good dude. We love six, though. So I was just telling Teddy, Rosie, that I've, uh, over the last few days, listened to your audio book. And um, needless to say, it's quite moving to those who haven't heard it or aren't familiar with your background. And... Um, I usually listen to books every morning when I run, and I came back from running, and I literally came in the door, and my wife said, what's what's the matter? And I said, what do you mean, what's the matter? She said, are you crying? And I said, no, I'm not crying. She said, what are you listening to? I said, I'm listening to Rosie Perez's book, and then she started asking me questions about it and realized that like, I, I connected with a lot of your story in the beginning of the book. <clears throat> it was incredibly moving and, 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 and powerful mainly for the positive attitude that you maintain through some incredibly difficult circumstances. It's uh, very impressive that you've been able to achieve all the things you've achieved with the kind of start that you had. And so congratulations on all the successes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Not a surprise you gravitated towards boxing. She's a fighter. Yeah. 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 That, that, that is what, as I, I wrote in the book, even as a little kid, something rang true when I was watching a match. I'm talking about like when I was in elementary school. Um, I just, I just was mesmerized by the fortitude and the tenacity and that they kept going and, you know, getting. Like you. Well. They found a way. They found a way. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I found a way. I think that what really helped me, um, and this is in comparison to you, what you offer to the game, to the fight game, is that I had somebody, my aunt. Um, the great Thea. Yeah, yes. Uh, tell me at an early age that I was loved and that I was special. And when you have somebody in your corner telling you stuff like that and telling you that you can do it and then having someone like my father who's saying that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, those things help you keep going. Those things help you get up off of your stool and get back into the, you know, help into you the center the of the ring. It, it helps you take the punches, you know, because you feel like you have a purpose. You know, if someone tells you you're special, you know, what do you do? You ask Why? You know, why am I special? Well, you got to figure that out, right? Uh-huh. And 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 that's that's part of the fight, too. But that's the positive side of the fight. And, you know, and just like uh, my cousin was um, saying earlier about what you offered Tim Bradley, 
you offered him that. You offered him that extra belief that he needed and that the correct guidance. And that's that's attributes to your 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 skills as a, a as a trainer and as a person. So it's the well, same. Yeah. Well, he did the hard part, Tim. I, I did the part that I'm supposed to do. And he did the hard part. He got in the ring and he, he won. Uh, and he fought. And he faced what he had to face. But hopefully, as you said, I did my job. And I appreciate that. Appreciate that. And um, coming from your cousin, too. Sixto's a good guy. I like Sixto. Yeah. He's here, by the way. Uh, we're talking like he's not here, but he's here in the room. <laughs> yeah. We're just not letting him speak because he might use vulgar language. <laughs> he can't help it. He's Puerto Rican. No, I just like this is beautiful. It's like it's enriching to hear this. It's deep. Not you, him. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, the spoken like a real relative. Yeah, exactly. The interesting part of your story is that you were able to kind of put these lessons together or at least put them into action at a very young age at about I think three years old when you were separated from your family and had to kind of use your own kind of mental fortitude at such a young age it's just if you haven't heard the book or, or read the book I, ca I can't recommend it strong strong enough it's 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 moving so oh, thank you and you know and just so people understand that um, it wasn't easy it wasn't easy. Um, there was times that I, I was down. I got knocked down, and you know, and I would get back up. And then the fifth round came, and I got knocked down again. And you know, went to my corner like I don't know if I could do this. And you know, and like, get back out there. And, and I just kept going and going and going. And I just felt like I was better than the circumstance that I was in, and I had to get out. I had to get out, and I. I always felt like I was doing time and I was going to make the time, I was going to make the best of that time that I was there instead of just wallowing in pity, self-pity. Like, it's like, okay, no, 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 because when you let me out of the gate, I'm going, yeah. I'm going. And, um, you know, but, you know, there was depression that I had to contend with a lot and, um, you know, and, and I didn't, you know, being Puerto Rican, you don't go seek professional help, you know, and, and it wasn't until I was an adult that a young adult that I went and sought professional help. And I'm glad I did. And that's why it's easy for me to make friends with boxes, because there's so much similarities, you know, between us. There's so many things that I understand, like even when I'm watching them in the ring and I see a moment of doubt and then I see in a millisecond how they could turn that doubt around and and make it you know and make it still uh work for them i i understand that i understand when they cry when they win when they fall to their knees and say thank you god you know because they work so hard for that title shot you know all that 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 hard work and you know and then it pays off you, you are on your knees and you are crying and you are you know in such exhilaration and then when even when the fighters lose remember the Danny Garcia Paulie Malignaggi fight and I was sitting next to you and it was sad it was so sad to see Paulie take that punishment you know and we went to his house the next day to make sure he was all right and people go why do you do that I said because I know how it feels to do, be in that position yeah. and and you want you want to have somebody to say you know what it's all right yeah 
you know, tomorrow's another day. You know, that's what my aunt would always say to me, you know. And, uh, and, and you know, I don't know, that's, that's what helps me through. But I just want people to know that it wasn't that easy. It really wasn't. Oh, it, no one's going to read that book and think it was easy. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> believe me. You, you only have to read a couple chapters to recognize that wasn't easy, which is why I find your story to be so impressive, to be from where you started to be nominated for an Oscar, recognized for all the greatness and all the great things that you've achieved is just like, it's such an honor to be here with you, honestly. I mean, reading the book was really put things into perspective for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking to what you were just touching on, what you just mentioned about the um, people getting emotional in the ring, we recently had on um, Andrew Cancio, uh, speaking of Puerto Ricans, he beat a incredible Puerto Rican fighter Alberto Machado to win the title mm-hmm. when he was considered to be an opponent and uh, he had his a real life Rocky moment you know he was working full time at SoCal Gas came on upset the champion who was 20 and 0 trained by Freddie Roach promoted by Golden Boy and when he won the title he like lost it I mean he was incredibly emotional and he's actually become a very good friend uh, of me and my wife and my children they came him and his kids came over the other day to the house but it was just like what you just described he was so emotional in the ring that it was like the culmination of like growing up uh, blue collar mexican american and then achieving his goal after having tremendous setbacks uh, uh, several setbacks so yeah it's 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 interesting to hear you point that out and it's definitely the case with boxing a lot of emotions right on the surface yeah so you you grew up and we're recording in uh downtown manhattan and you uh grew up in brooklyn um are you still do you still live there full time yes i still live in brooklyn (laughs) i tried living um elsewhere i tried living on the upper west side you know moving on up and it (laughs) didn't work for me (laughs) yeah the jeffersons it just didn't work for me because you know i was like saying hi to my neighbors and they were like who's this little puerto rican thing you know and and (laughs) you know like hello hello and um i i just i didn't like that i didn't like that it didn't have a sense of community or neighborhood feel and i didn't like that as soon as you walked out of your house it was just a mass amount of people going back and forth and and so I went back to Brooklyn, you know, but I tried it for eight months. I lasted in the city. <laughs> and I went back to Brooklyn and everyone thought I was crazy. And they thought that I was, I had, I had an ex-manager tell me I was afraid of success because I moved back to Brooklyn. And I'm, I have the last laugh now. Because everybody wants to live in Brooklyn now. <laughs> that's, you know? that's a very good point. You know, and at my house, I got dirt cheap, and now it's worth multi-millions, you know, and it's, it's uh, you know, because people finally understood what what Brooklyn was about, is about. And another thing that you mentioned in the book was walking past, I think it was Clinton Hills with the beautiful brownstones, yes. and now I think that's where you live, right? That's where I live. Such a great story. Yeah. Because I can relate to that growing up as a, as a kid and basically being poor and thinking like, man, if I could ever have that house, that things that you look back on now and think, wow, like at the time I should have dreamed a little bigger. <laughs> you know? but it's so great to now see you like come full circle and kind of be exactly where you envision yourself being. Yeah. So. That, that's a, that's the thing that like, like, um, like when I met uh, Floyd Mayweather and I said, wow, he has belief. 
He has belief in spades. You know, just like when I met uh, Muhammad Ali and, you know, uh, even um, uh, recently with uh, Lomachenko, um, you know, and when I was younger, I don't know where it came from, but I had that belief, too. And everyone used to laugh at me. I said, I'm going to own one of these houses one day. Not I hope to own, oh I, oh, I wish I could own. I was like, I am going to own one of these houses one day. And I just had that belief. Uh, I don't know where it came from. I really don't. Like, it, it just it was undeniable, and you just couldn't stop me. And the way I move and shake, I move very quietly. Right, Sixto? I, I, move, I don't tell anybody my game plan. I just go, okay. And I just plot along until it happens. Yeah, so, yeah. You're a good person, besides uh, obviously being a successful professional person. You're a good human being. Oh. You are, and I believe there's power in that. I believe there's a lot of power that comes from the core. You talk about belief. The core of belief in the right things. The core of care for others. I believe there's a power in that. And I believe that sometimes we, we look at the obvious things you know, too quickly, the obvious talents, uh, the neon talents, the things that glow, the things that shine, uh, you know, whether it's the, the looks or whether it's the intellect or whether it's the power or the speed or whatever it happens to be. But sometimes we forget to look at the inner powers, the inner strengths, the character of a person, uh, as you said, the belief of a person. You know, I want to look at the talent of a fighter. Everyone says, how fast is he? How mobile is he? How elusive is he? I want to know how dependable is he? Dependable, uh, you mean, of I, showing up? Yeah, dependable is when, when the moment comes, what's he going to do? Dependable is Mentally. when it comes to making a choice. What choice are you going to make? Dependable is disappearing, not disappearing. Dependable is evaporating, not evaporating. And um, I want to know how reliable, how dependable is he? I want to know that. Because all the other abilities, what are they going to attach themselves to? It's like having a bunch of bricks, you know. But there's got to be cement to hold those bricks together. Otherwise, they're just bricks. Right. And they're going to fly all over the freaking place. And they hurt when they hit you. They fall down. <laughs> they hit your toes. Yeah. They hit your feet. They hit your knees. They hit your head. I want to know what's going to hold those bricks in place. Is he dependable? Is he reliable? And that comes from somewhere. It comes from care. You know, it comes from beyond yourself, beyond your own realm of care. Care for other things, care for others. That's not, a lot of people think that's a vulnerability. They probably thought with you too, you're sensitive, you, you could cry, you could do that, that's a vulnerability. I turn it around, I say that's a strength, it's a power. You're powerful, you're strong, and you're good. And I see that, I appreciate it. Oh, thank yeah. you. And and uh, I think that what you're describing as far as your success, I think your success is, you know, wrapped up in that. You know, you, you say, I don't know where that came from. I knew that I was going to do this, but where did it come from? But it was always there. I don't think it's that hard to figure out where it came from. It came from you seeing bad things, seeing, but also seeing good things and caring about the good things. And when you care about good things, you imagine things. Yeah. And when you imagine things, you see things. 
and you see success. You see things you want. I love that. <laughs> wow. You ready to get in the ring? Right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, I hope. love that. Look at that. Look at me goosebumps. Any fighter should hope to have the character, again, not to sound like a broken record, should hope to have the character of Rosie based on what I read in that book. It's uh, powerful. And, and it speaks much louder than actions, you know, like, um, or posturing. It's the real deal. And I, we're going to get into your, um, how you became involved in boxing and such like a rabid fan. But I just want to go quickly over your okay. career because it's wildly impressive to say the least. Um, I think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong. I think originally, was it Spike? You, you were doing dancing on Soul Train. Mm -hmm. Someone saw you dancing. Invited you to Soul Train, and was it Spike Lee saw you dancing at a club in Brooklyn and asked you to come audition for Do the Right Thing? No, he saw me. Uh, I was going to college at the time in Los Angeles. Uh, I was a biochemistry major, and uh, say that again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, is that you let me just go? That's, that's, oh yeah, a that's the I, I keep forgetting. That. I, I keep forgetting that everyone didn't just read the book with me. But that's the part. That's another part that I, I again. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but that's one of the other things that I found interesting is that how did this little girl growing up in Brooklyn with no real academic role models, let's say, decide she's like going to college hell bent? And now going to major in biochemistry. Like, and I, I can only relate yeah, can because my that? career. Can we talk about that? My, my <laughs> Tell us about biochemistry. personal life is similar in that no one went to college. No one told me. I just knew I got to get out of here. So, yeah. How, why biochemistry? Why moving to Los Angeles? Uh, biochemistry because I'm just fascinated with biology and I was good at math and I was good at chemistry, but also is that I almost drowned in uh, Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and um, it was a riptide and got kept getting further and further and further out. And uh, one of my half sisters, God rest her soul, she she saved me. And when I went to bed that night, I kept having dreams of ocean life. And I was just like, I'm going to be the female Jack Cousteau. And everyone laughed at me. Everyone laughed at me. I said, I'm going to be. I, I am because I, I used to love that show. Um, uh, and uh, and like I said earlier, I just slowly plotted and planned it, you know, and, and – um, yeah, and I and I ended up going to college for biochem. How long? Uh, for two years, and then what happened uh, was that I uh, was at a nightclub. Um, my last day in Los Angeles because I decided I wanted to go back home uh, to Brooklyn because I just didn't fit in Los Angeles. Uh, the people there were very different, and. Um, and it was my last night, and I was hoping to transfer to um, uh, uh, Stony, um, Stony Brook. Stony Brook. Uh, and, um, and that last night, I met Spike Lee and got into an argument with him. And he kept laughing at me, and it just kept making me more and more angry. And it takes a lot to get me angry, but once you get me angry, it yeah. takes a lot to bring me down. Yeah. And... I just couldn't, I couldn't calm down and he couldn't stop laughing. And I remember I was like, what the F is so funny? And he goes, oh, tonight is fate. And I said, oh, you wish. <laughs> and he laughed. He goes, no, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. And um, he gave me his card. No, his producer, Monty Ross. Uh, 
gave me his card. He said, give us a call. I'm like, whatever. And I thought that he was just trying to hook up with me, so I didn't take it seriously. And I went to throw the card out in the garbage, and my college buddy, Marion Wade, dove after the car. She was, are you crazy? And she's the one that called him. And he said, no, I want to talk to the girl with the accent. I want to talk to that, to the Latin girl. And I got on the phone and I said, what do you want? And he started laughing again. I go, okay, I'm going to hang up. He goes, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. (laughs) And that was it. That was it. You know, it was fate. It was fate. Uh, Really was. Yeah. And he cast you in um, Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing. Oh, mm-hmm. I can remember like it was yesterday. I had such a crush on you when I saw that movie. Oh. I was like, oh, my God, that's what they have in Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> and that that's where I reconnected with my cousin Sixto. So we, because I was in the system, in the child welfare system, we I was disconnected with certain family members for a long time. And I'm on the set of Do the Right Thing, and my half-sister said, oh, I want to go out with one of the guys in, in, the, in the movie. His name is Angel. Will you double date with me? Um, his friend is Sixto. And I went, Sixto? I know Sixto. <laughs> and he goes, because you don't know him. I said, I know that name. And she said, no, you're thinking of the boxer. You're so sick with with boxing, I go, no, 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 I know, I know that, I know that name. So I called up my aunt and I said, Thea, do I have a relative named Sixto? Yes, you used to take baths with him. <laughs> I said, what? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so that's a, that's a true story. That's, and yeah, so a lot of it was fake. A lot of great things. Uh, came out of that meeting was. with Spike, and, and I'm I'm forever in debt to him. Yeah. By the way, I love when you do the uh, the the Puerto Rican accent of your aunt. So if you could do that the rest of the interview, that would be fantastic. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> no. So, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so after do the right thing, was it fearful that you got nominated for? Uh, uh, fearless. Fearless, you got nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even just saying it, I get chills. Thinking, uh, like, oh, my God. That, I mean, short of winning the like, lightweight title, that had to be like the culmination of a dream. I mean, to be nominated for an Oscar, I, I loved that part of the book. Uh, what was that experience like? It was a bit overwhelming, to be honest. Um, it was a bit like Danny Jacobs in the recent Canelo fight. He kept saying in all the pre-fight footage, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm on a jet plane. I can't believe uh, I'm in this position. You have to believe you're in the position. You have to believe that you're supposed to be. That's why you can't win. Yeah, yeah. He, so, he didn't well, add that, but but that could have been it. That's yeah. why you can't win. Right. Because you can't believe. Right. And that's why you won. Yeah. Because you believed. I believed. And But I didn't initially because I was just like, what? What is going on? I got nominated for an Oscar. And it was my father who told me, stop saying you can't believe it. Wow. Believe it. It's happening. This is happening now. <laughs> I was like, okay. Sounds like your father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but getting that role was kind of a like the linear fight to having a title fight because no one believed in me. The studio didn't want me. They didn't want an interracial relationship with Jeff Bridges and I. I had to go back and audition four times. 
my first audition, I was on a line. I was counting all the girls, and they were all the A-list and then B-list of Hollywood. I was the 85th, it was 84th or 85th person seen that day. And talk about letting your ego go, because I could have sat there and just got really angry. And I didn't. And I was like, just hang on. You want this. You want this. Hang on. Hang on. And I go in there and and the audition, I didn't know. I didn't know if it went well. Um, but he said to me, can you quietly and silently pray and look really depressed and canatonic? I go, Oh, I could do that. <laughs> See me. <laughs> yeah, and he, and you know what's funny is that he told me that one of the main reasons why he considered me for the role was the way I crossed myself. He goes, I want you to get on your knees. I go, why? He goes, because you're going to pray. I go, what religion is she? He goes, Catholic. I said, no, 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 we, don't, we only get on our knees in church. You, we don't, you know, no. And he goes, what? And I said, I don't know, it's an American thing, I don't know, but, you know. And he goes, okay, pray. So in, he said that all the other actresses were deliberately going in the name of the Father and the Son and yeah, the Holy just, Spirit. And I just went, yeah. and he goes, what was that? And I said, well, I just crossed myself. He goes, okay, can you do that again? And I went, and he just started laughing, and I got nervous. I was like, Oh, did I blow it? No, like, he and he said, "That's what he recognized the the uh, genuineness." Yeah, the genuineness. And then Jeff Bridges fought for me. The director fought for me. The executive producer, uh, Paula Weinstein, fought for me. And the studio still didn't want me. And then finally, they said it's either her or nothing. And I was supposed to be co-starring. And then Isabella Mussolini is like, "I won't do the movie unless I'm the co-star." And they and my agent at the time said, don't fight this one. Win the war. You, you're going to lose this battle. Win the war. Just stay in there. And I said, okay, fine. I'll be supporting. And um, and again, I had to keep my ego in check. And, but I wanted it so bad. I wanted these movies so bad. And the director, the night before the movie started, we started filming, I quit. I quit because I was so overwhelmed um, by this undertaking um, that I allowed my fear to to entrap me. And thank goodness the director, his name Just is... Just like a fighter. Yeah? Yeah. Really? The hardest part is in the locker room, the night before, in the locker room. Sometimes the locker room feels like you're waiting for the, your turn to go to the electric chair. Oh wow! In front of in front of thirty thousand. Oh, forget people. about it. It doesn't have to be in front of anyone. It's just in front of you. It's just you. Yeah, you. You. And the worst thing that magnifies it, that blows it up for you, that the ninjas that come over the wall and attack you, is called your imagination. Because, yeah, because in in a fight, there's limits to what can happen. In the acting, there's limits to what can happen. What can happen? This, this, this. But when the imagination comes into play, there's no limits. Anything can happen. And that's dangerous. And that does damage. And people that have never felt that and don't understand that, they can get lost to that. Mm. And you felt that. And it's the same as a fighter. Fighters sitting in the dressing room, it's the hardest part. The imagination starts to come. And, you, and it starts to come and it starts to deteriorate you. And it starts to make you 
forget what you're supposed to remember. It makes you think of things that are not really real, but like I said, there's no roof to the imagination. There's no borders. There's no fences at all. And it can take you to places that can really destroy you. There have been fighters that have sat in the locker room early in their stages before they got what you got, before they got maturity, before they got confidence, before they got experience. They never got rid of the fear, but they learned how to control it, how to live with it. And they actually would be in the locker room. The trainer would come back maybe an hour later to check on him. Where'd he go? He was on a subway going back to the Bronx. No. No, it's happened. A lot of people, you know, don't know that. But you know it. Mm-hmm. You might not have known the story until I told, but inherently you know it mm-hmm. because you felt it. Yeah. What did you feel like? You felt like leaving. You felt yeah. like getting on a train. And and just when somebody walked out, when the makeup artist or when the lines person or whoever was going to call you walked out, go down the stairway. It's happened. It has happened. Where fighters have gotten out and all of a sudden they're not there. They're gone. And that is the most difficult part. And it's... I'm glad that you said what you said, because for the people out there, I always say this show is to connect the dots in life through boxing, mm. because we're all in a fight. Well, it's just a matter of what are you fighting for? Right. What are you fighting for? But we're all in a fight. And what round is it? And we're connecting dots with real life stuff and fights, because boxing is a metaphor for, you know, for life. Yeah. It really is. It's a big fight. It's a big freaking fight. Yeah. And you, you just... You just put something tangible to, to people out there that are listening. That it doesn't have to be in boxing. It could be in whatever your fight is. You're sitting in a dressing room for your debut, and you feel like quitting. You feel like disappearing. You feel like that, but you didn't. Yeah. But you didn't. No, I didn't. And, you know, Customano, my mentor, used to say that, you know, it's like, a, what's the difference? He used to say, oh, my God, it rings my ears. He used to say to the fighters, and he would say to me, Teddy, what's the difference between a hero and a coward in a war? There is no difference. They both feel the same. They're both scared. They both want to go home. They both don't want to have bullets shot at them. The difference is what they do. Right. And the difference is what you did. You know how many actresses before you that you never know about, they, they, they got out of that room? And they left before they had a chance to find out what they could have been. Wow. It's a great story for people listening. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You're a good inspiration. No, you are. You're a great inspiration. Thank you. To touch on what you were talking about, about the imagination and the ninjas and being afraid, I use these kind of stories with my children all the time. When when they say they don't want to do something, especially something new, like go to a new boxing gym or a jiu-jitsu class, and I can see they're scared. And I always remind them that it's okay to be scared. Everyone's scared. Mike Tyson, his first day at Cusses, was scared. Everyone is scared. They'd be lying if they say they did His that. second day, he was scared. Probably <laughs> 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 Let me ask you one real quick question. <laughs> what kept you there? That's what the people want to hear. What kept you there? Because you, were, you said it. You were ready to leave. What kept you there? A couple of things. One was the director called. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning. And he says, you're not going anywhere. He goes, I'm coming down to your room. And I said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. And he came down to the room anyway. And the time from him 
coming down to my room, I sat there with myself and I said to myself, you want this so badly. If you walk away now, you will forever regret this moment. You will forever regret it. And I remember he was knocking and I knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And it took me a minute to get up and walk over and open the door because I knew when I opened that door. That was it. That was it. To let him in meant like I'm back in. You're in. And so I just took a deep breath and I said to myself, I said, with all the crap that you've been through, Let's go. this is easy. Let's go. You, you, you've, you've gone through worse than these. You know what I mean? What are you talking about? And, and I remember having this, these actually say, I remember I actually said to myself and I went, who are you? What are you made of? Get up. And I just, I just stood up and I took a deep breath and I opened the door and he was standing there and I just cried. And he goes, he gave me a hug. He goes, get your script out. We're going to work. And I went, yes, sir. And I went and I got my script out and we worked. We went through the whole script until five o'clock in the morning. And he goes, okay, they're going to come pick you up in 15 minutes. I went, what? He goes, yeah. We, we stayed up all night. Your call is 515. Let's go. Get, get a shower. Let's go. It's time to work. And I went, yes, sir. And thank God I didn't chicken out. Thank God I, I heard that little voice in me that said, come on, get up, you know. And, and, uh, and it was great. It was great. So it was the director saying, no, 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 no. You can't quit. And the little person in me that said, you're not going to quit. And that, that, that was it, but it was, and that all happened, that all transpired maybe in like five minutes, you, you know, know I had to make that decision that quickly. And it lasts for an eternity. Yeah. Yeah. And I got one correction. What happened? Ah, that, that, that little person in you? Yeah. Not so little. Not so little. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there, listen to your voice. Let your voice be heard over all that other noise. Listen, take another extra minute when you're about to spit the bit, you're about to get out of Dodge. Take another minute, not another hour, one more minute. Let's see what you hear. And to touch on what you were talking about, about the ninjas coming over the wall with your imagination, again, back to what I tell my children, is like, it's okay to be scared. And let's talk about what are you afraid of? You're afraid of the ninjas coming over? What are they going to do? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Is someone going to punch you in the face? It's a boxing gym. You're going to get punched, but that's okay. And once you realize what's the worst thing that can happen to me here, you, especially in your case, so I'm going to get on screen, what, am I going to feel embarrassed? Because if I make a mistake, that pales in comparison to what you've already overcome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, hopefully people will listen to that and realize that, What's the worst thing that can happen here? You know, I'm in control of my own destiny. I can either be great or quit, and I'll never know if I was great or just gave up on myself. Right? Better to fight and lose than to get on the subway back to uh, back to Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. 
So talk to me about your when you first became interested in boxing and how that kind of evolved because, like I said earlier, you kind of recognized as the first lady of boxing. I feel like I see you at every event. You obviously know the fight game really well. So maybe walk us through the um, your early days and early interest in the sport. Well, it was when um, uh, I would go on uh, um, court-appointed uh, home visits to my mother. My mother didn't raise me, and it would you know, would be on Friday nights, you know, Friday and Saturday nights. And and there was a member, Howie Cosell and ABC, Wide World of Sports and all that stuff. So they would always, boxing was always on yeah, when I was a kid. And it was on Saturday, Sunday afternoons. Yeah. On free TV. On free TV, yeah. yep. And so they would, you know, cook up a storm, invite all their friends over. And, and so as a, as a toddler, I, I just watched boxing and I, I just liked it. Um, but it wasn't until the, the Willie Benitez fight versus, uh, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Willie Benitez, Puerto Rican, everybody's rooting for the Puerto Rican. And, um, you know, I'm a little bit older now, I'm about, like almost like a, like a, a, a tween. Um, and I had the biggest crush on Sugar Ray Leonard. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought he was so gorgeous. And so inside, I was rooting for Sugar Ray Leonard, um, but I was also w- rooting for Benitez, of course, but I didn't want to tell anybody because I would have been pummeled, you know, and so <laughs> I kept it to myself. And then that fight was so extraordinary. And when Benitez lost, I burst into tears and it was twofold. One, because I didn't I didn't want him to lose, but two, I felt guilty that I want I was secretly happy about Sugar Ray winning. And sure. and I just I just couldn't stop crying and and I thought I was the only one crying. <clears throat> I looked around, everybody was crying. Everyone was crying. And then when I went to school and I go, Oh, guess what happened? Blah 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 and it was in me. That was it. That was when I became a fan. Before, it was just a cultural thing. It was what Puerto Ricans did, you know, mm-hmm. boxing and baseball, you know, and everything. But then it became personal. You know, I felt personally connected to a fighter. And that never happened to me until that that moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and it meant something to me. It, it wasn't just a sporting event that I'm watching on TV. It was an event that hit me personally. So, yeah. I think we know a guy who trained Benitez, didn't we? I trained Benitez, believe it or not. I trained for Benitez. I was a young kid with custom model. And Gregorio Benitez, his father, was, you know, wasn't a great father, um, but a father who did form him uh, since he was a baby and forced him to be a fighter, made him a fighter, uh, nothing else. The, the positive was he became a really, truly great fighter. The negative is that he knew nothing else, and there was nothing else for him. And um, the father didn't always protect him, but the father made him a great fighter or helped him become a great fighter. And at this point in his stage in his life, he had become the youngest world champion, 17. It's never going to be broken. You know how phenomenal that record is? You're 17 years old. You win a world title. You, you have no idea. It doesn't how, even seem real. No, no, but no, no. But yeah, I'll make it real for you. I'll give you tangible stuff to make it, to show you how real it is and how difficult it is, how impossible it is, and how it'll never be done again. 
17 years old, he wins a world title. That means that he was beating pros, mature men, when he was 13 or 14. Because mm-hmm. you have to have three, four years before you can fight for a title, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that means he was beating men when he was 14, 13. Just think about that. Think about your, if you had a 13-year-old son playing in the NFL. No, it ain't happening. <laughs> it, it ain't happening, is it? No. No, it's impossible. And so, Alfredo Benitez, he won the world title when he was 17 years old, outdoors in Puerto Rico against a great fighter from Colombia, Cervantes, Antonio Cervantes. And he he beat him 15 rounds back in those days. When you watched the fight with Leonard, it was 15 rounds mm-hmm. still. And so anyway, he wins the title, and they, they progress down the road. And Gregorio, his father, who had a lot of difficult habits and stuff, wound up selling his son's contract for $75,000 to Jimmy Jacobs. Oh. Yeah, Jimmy Jacobs at the time had just bought Ring Magazine. Jimmy Jacobs was partners with Bill Caton. He owned the biggest fight film collection in the world, Big Fights Films. It's a f- collection that later on, years later, got sold by Bill Caton. Jimmy had died. It got sold by Bill Caton to ESPN for $80 million. And, and ESPN, when you see the classic fights, that's part of that collection. So he's got this great fighter who who's the youngest world champion of all time and always will be and junior welterweight champ of the world. Anyway, he sells his contract to Jimmy. Jimmy, of course, was connected with Cus. Cus was Jimmy's mentor. And I trained fighters for Cus, the model. And here I am, this young kid. I have no right to be training the great Wilfredo Benitez, a prodigy. No right. I don't deserve it. No, I don't. I'm too young. I'm too young. I hadn't earned my way yet. I mean, I was training fighters every day, day and night, every day training fighters for Cuss. And, but really, if I'm not with Cuss, I don't get this opportunity. But Cuss believed in me, and he had me train him for the Palomino fight outdoors in Puerto Rico for the welterweight title. The title that he wound up fighting Leonard for or defending against Leonard, which he mm-hmm. lost, was that title that he won in the fight that I trained him with Palomino. So I connect with you with uh, what you're talking about. And and that was a he was a great fighter, well fighter Benitez. I yeah. mean just he was he called himself the Bible of boxing, but uh this is a guy who I I like to say the old timers would say, stand in front of you and you couldn't hit him in the backside with a handful of buckshot. And he stand right in front of you, make you miss, counter punch. That's actually how he won the title against Palomino. He he stayed against the ropes. He made him miss, pop, 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 and counted him all night long. And um, he was. Uh, it's a sad story at the end for Wilfredo. Yeah. Very sad. Um, but uh, but a, a very 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 special. Very special fighter. He had his first fight when he was six years old. I mean, he was he was created by his father. The path was created, kind of like Lomachenko, mm-hmm. was created to be one thing. He, his father, they had like 15 brothers and sisters, uh, siblings, and he was there was one thing that Gregorio knew. He, this kid was going to be champion of the world. And he wound up taking care of the whole family. They took advantage of him, unfortunately, yeah. um, and, and they did. But he, uh, and and there was a lot of craziness. You would understand some of that craziness. Yeah. I mean, there was voodoo. 
There was there was, uh, <laughs> uh, there was a lot of people wouldn't understand that. So Rosie right away she laughs and smiles, yeah. and a lot of people say, "Teddy Voodoo, what are you talking about? You you went from boxing to Voodoo." L- listen, just because they're champions of the world and they're special and and they're strong and tough, don't mean that they're strong in all dimensions. Don't mean that they don't have beliefs that can creep in there, that they don't have insecurities. Matter of fact, they might have more insecurities than you can shake a stick at. Because they're in an insecure business. If you had to go in the ring and face another man every day of your life to get ready for a fight and then ultimately go in the ring and fight, guess what? You you might feel insecure too. You you might have a lot of insecurities. You'd think that they would be braver than you. They're born brave. They're born as people. They develop into fighters. They're not born as fighters. They develop because they have a talent. And maybe they have an urgency. Maybe maybe they, they have... Uh, the, a mandated uh, urgency and demand to be that because there's no alternatives. There's no option. That's the only way out. And it's forced on them. So if something's forced on you, does that mean you're secure about it? No, it means that you're you're always fighting the doubt as to whether or not you really believe you can do this, mm. even though you're doing it. Yeah. That fight never stops. As you're and, describing this, I feel like you could be describing Rosie. Oh, no, but that's <laughs> why I'm talking. That's why we're talking to each other. Because, and, and so with that, you're going into that domain and that environment, that fire. You're going into an uncomfortable, dangerous environment inside that ring, right? A lot of people say, oh, gee, they're fighters. They don't feel nothing. You know, they're fighters in nature. What, are you out of your mind? They feel the same thing you would feel. They're just trained to deal with it. They feel the same emotions, the same fears, the same doubts, the same insecurities, and they got they got to go, they got to go into that, they got to go into that uncomfortable place. Well, some people, when they have to do some uncomfortable things and difficult, they reach for things. They reach for a bottle. They mm-hmm. reach for a bottle, mm-hmm. rum. As long as we're talking about Puerto Rican stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes little cups of rum. Yeah. All right? And so they reach for something. They reach for something to to, to help them, to escape. Oh, he's a fighter, Teddy. um, Are you listening? Are you understanding that they're human, that these things are to be feared? to be worried about. Why would you not worry about them? So you reach for something. So you're a fighter. Obviously, he takes care of his body. He's in shape. So you're not going to reach for alcohol. All of a sudden, part of your culture is around. You reach for voodoo. All of a sudden, you think you get some witch doctor, some woman, and she kills a chicken and puts it in a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) And says a few mumble jumble things. <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm training Alfredo Benitez. He's in my house, in Cuss's house, with I don't know what I'm inheriting. I don't know what's in the attic. I don't know what's in the basement. I just know I train fighters. Customano said, I'm the young master. I'm going to train world champions. I'm training Alfredo Benitez. So I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm training him and stuff. And then one day, I, I go in his room. Because we're all living in the same house. I go in his room and there's a bottle. 
it looks like there's something in that bottle looking at me. There's eyes in that bottle. What? It's a chicken. <laughs> oh my god! So what the fuck are you doing in uh, with a bottle with a chicken in your freaking mouth? <laughs> Looking at me. Looking oh. at me. Oh, uh, oh, that's uh, and whatever the Spanish word is for it, you know. Polio. Uh, no, no, not chicken for the for the magic. Oh, oh. For, oh. for the yeah. Pray. There it is. And 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 it had given to me, given to me by a witch. And no, no fear of saying it. A, a, a witch, yeah. a Puerto Rican witch. I said, "Oh, listen, Cuz didn't give me a handbook on this stuff. He didn't tell me about this part. Right. You know what I mean? Like what you went through in, in, in acting, you didn't have no, but you figured it out as you went. Yeah, I figured it, it out. It was part of, part of the turf, part of the terrain, part of this. Seventy-five percent of it is this." So that was part of it. Yeah. Had to deal with that. Had to, had to, you know, had to, had to work around that. That this great fighter, and I'll say it again, I don't call fighters great because we call too many of them great just because we want to be around when they were around. So we say they're great, but they're not great yet. This fighter was great. Three full divisions. Yeah. Junior welterweight, welterweight, junior middleweight, 17 years old. No freebie when he won the world title. Just like Leonard was great. He didn't get a freebie. He got Rufredo Benitez to win the title against. He had to win it against Kid Pombole, Cervantes. Great fighter. And he wins it. And and so I got to figure out this this part of it. That, you know, he's he believes if this witch doctor calls him up, so what do we do? We made sure the phone wasn't available. You figure it out. Make sure the phone. We found out that he was making phone calls to the witch. <laughs> yeah. So no more phone calls. The witch isn't available. The witch isn't available. <laughs> Call in the goblins. <laughs> but you understand about that. I, I totally understand. And and a lot of people, when they hear the show and all the great things that, you know, that Rosie's bringing them through and and exposing them to that hopefully can make sense to them and maybe bear some light to them uh, in their own fights and their own journeys is that you know you never can assume anything I mean here's a great fighter and he was his weakness his insecurity was that he believed that a voodoo witch doctor could tell him, tell this great fighter whether or not he was going to win or lose. And, you know, we, we had to, like I said, we had to deal with that. And um, it was just one of the dimensions that most people would never know exist because they think these fighters are superhuman. Yeah. They think they have no fears. They were born different. Uh, no. Right. They weren't born different. They, they were born the same. And it was just that they made themselves different. They chose boxing. And they chose to pursue that sport. So they had to train themselves. They had to hone themselves. They had to forge themselves into something. But the feelings that they were vulnerable to were the same feelings you're vulnerable to because they're human. Yeah. And we all reach for things. When we're under pressure, when, when, when that gun is pointed to us, we, we reach for things. 
we reach for different things. And under pressure, that was one of the things in his culture, in his environment, where he came from, it was a thing that some people reach for. Wow. It was pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. <laughs> Talk to me about some of your favorite fighters and um, what, why, they, why they're your favorites. What do you see in them that you relate, that you uh, appreciate? Is it like a lot of similarities in your own background or... Talk to me about your favorite fighters. One of my favorite fighters is Marvin Hagler. Um, I just loved how he would just keep coming forward and just he would throw, throw, throw. And I, I just, I loved, he just seemed so powerful. He was. And, um, and when I got to meet him at the uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame, my cousin Sixto and I, we fanned out. <laughs> and we were like, oh my goodness. And, and, Marvelous uh, Marvin Hagler. Yeah, um, Sugar Ray. I got to meet him too. Uh, that was at the Nevada Boxing uh, Hall of Fame, and uh, Steve Fallhood was pushing me because uh, he knew about my story with Benitez and him. He goes, "Go say hi." I go, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> he says, "Go say hi," and he pushes me out onto the uh, red carpet, and uh, and he said, <laughs> "Sugar, Sugar Ray goes, hi, how you doing?" And he put his hand on my back to take a picture with me. He goes, are you all right? You're shaking. I went, <laughs> that's all that came out of my mouth out of all these years. You know, I was like, oh, I hope I, to me, Sugar Ray Leonard one day. <laughs> that, was, that was it. That'll do. That'll do. That, that'll do. That'll do. Um, but he was a sweetheart because later he, he talked with my husband and I uh, at the uh, after party and I thought that was really, really nice. Of course, Ali, um, Aaron, uh, the Hawk Pryor, I loved. Um, uh, Pernell Whitaker, um, I loved Oscar De La Hoya, Trinidad, Cotto, um, gosh, who else? Uh, Arturo Gatti, Mickey Ward, um, (coughs) Manfredi, I liked Manfredi, Angel Manfredi, um, gosh, uh, there's, there's so many, um, Who's your favorite fighter right now? My favorite fighter right now is Lomachenko. Oh, yeah. I like Lomachenko a lot. Um, also, I like Earl Spence Jr. a lot. Mm-hmm. A too. lot. Um, Crawford I like a lot. I feel bad of what hopping with Crawford. He, I don't think he got the fights that he should have gotten. You know, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand the politics. I don't know if they're waiting for him to age out or... or well, it's politics. You just it's politics. It's, it's so, the promoters... One promoter has one fighter, another pro, and they won't get together because they can't control both sides. Mm-hmm. So you can't make a fight that you want, that we want, that the that the fighters want, because the promoters control one side, the promoters control the other side, and they both want control, and they won't allow the fight to happen. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. Um, I like Eric Morales um, a lot. Uh Juan uh, Marquez. Um, a great fighter. Oh, my God. Yeah, great fighter. Barrera. Barrera was um, great. Took to, apart Prince Ahmed. Oh, he sure did. Yeah. Um, uh, gosh. Uh, what was that? The funny fighter. He he, he brought the weird... Payas. 
Uh, no, he's uh, uh, the excitement. Prince Nassim. Oh, the, uh, Nassim is the one that I just said that yeah. got destroyed by Barrera. Barrera. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. He he was he when he came out with that car on the carpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was yeah. so funny. And he was very unorthodox. And, yeah, very unorthodox. Yeah. And um, uh, the punch like hell. Yeah, I I I also like uh, I like Anthony Joshua, <laughs> but I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see what else he has. Um, I want a, like a really strong opponent to go up against him. Um, but I was at that uh, fight uh, in uh, at Wembley Stadium oh, wow. in the UK because wow. I was filming over there and it just happened that my co-star, his name is Jack Whitehall, and he's a sports fanatic, so we got along great. And um, sure. and he, he says, do you want to go to the fight? I went, uh, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> so we got to go, and that was spectacular. There was 90,000 people in yeah. the stadium yeah. because it was an 80,000-seat stadium, and they oversold tickets, so they just put extra chairs. <laughs> and nobody complained. Yeah. And watching a fight with the UK fans is a different experience. Yeah, Everyone should should experience any real fight fan. You should, you know, if you can afford it, go and see a, a UK title fight. It was describe it. It was pure, unified joy. Patriotism. Naturalism. It was patri naturalism, patriotism, and just. The, the unadulterated love for the sport. Because when Sweet Caroline came on, you know, sometimes like you go to a fight here in the United States, a song comes on, nobody wants to sing because everybody want to look cool and everybody. It, it wasn't about looking cool. It was about being part of it, being part of the experience yeah. and saying, yeah. I was there. I sang Sweet Caroline with everybody else in that stadium. Did you sing? I sang. Yeah, I don't know about the singing part, but um, but yeah, but that that was that was it, and and how everyone stayed in their seats. Everyone was glued to the fight. Because that's what they were there for. That was what they were there for, and the fights over here, they're not all there for that. You're right. Yep. That's right. I was That's just right. telling Teddy, I went to the Canelo Jacobs fight, and literally there was a guy behind me sleeping. No. I, I took a picture of him, and his friend saw me and then wanted to fight me, but that's a whole other story. But yeah, a guy was sleeping, middle of the fight. Uh, it was wild. You know what bothers me of, of, of my own uh, tribe of, of actors and sometimes recording artists? I'm not a recording artist, but in that, that, that sphere of entertainers, mm -hmm. It bothers me sometimes when they have the privilege of getting floor seats yep. and they don't even appreciate care it. who's up there. They don't appreciate it. They don't appreciate it. it. And they're just, you know, fuddling their hair, they fixing their, their makeup. Dress, yeah. That dress that's going to whatever. And they want who's going to see them and, and, and what profile they're going to show and, and who's important sitting next to them. Yeah. Yeah. Instead I, of that. Yeah. In the ring. Exactly. And it just, it really bothers. I get asked by so many other actors and actresses, oh, could you take me to the fight? I go, do you like the fight game? They go, uh, the fight? I go, forget it. If, if you don't know that term, you don't, you don't, yeah. you don't love it. And it's, uh, and, and I go, um, 
Well, I, I'll see because I don't want to say no oh, and be impolite. But cross them right off. That cross list. them right off. And and uh, but it it really bothers me because I tell people they go they like why does that bother you? I said, do you know how much those seats are worth? Yeah. I said, my goodness, it's not only the astronomical tag price exactly. on the seat, but it's the privilege and the honor the to be ringside, the opportunity. And you're going to crap on it? It just bothers me. It really, really just gets my goat. And when they're talking during the fight, <laughs> and you're like sitting behind them, and you just want to tell them, please shut up. I'm trying to concentrate. Want to tell them? Oh. You don't turn around and tell them, like, dude, knock it off. No, my cousin Sixto does. Oh, are you Sixto. fucking kidding me? <laughs> oh I can't imagine Sixto being aggressive. <laughs> yeah, so timid. Yeah, yeah. So thank, when, thank you. Speaking <laughs> of that scenario, so when I took my son to the oh, fights, right. the Serengese fight, the the Thai guy who fought Estrada at the forum. Again, my son, he's seven, and after the first undercard, he wanted to go. So by the time the main event came on, and I really wanted to see the co-main. So when we, we got to that, I'm like, all right, you know what? If I'm going to leave, we walked up to, like, the nosebleeds, and I had two tickets, and I saw a guy sitting with his son. I said, hey, do you want to sit in the front row down there? Here's two tickets. Hustle down there. These are yours. Go. And my son was like, it was a good lesson for him because I said, this guy probably, like, just happy to be in the stadium. Now he's going to get down there and see fight where you were sitting and it was like hopefully it registers with him because like i say he's had he's been lucky enough to see some big events but that made me feel better than staying for the main event to see yeah. someone who was a real fan who was sitting like i mean that's height you're just watching the big screen right and but i i agree with everything that you said it's like Come on, man! This, if you're not here to like watch the fight, watch it on TV. Go watch with and your boxing friends. Boxing is so much bigger in those places, you know, like in Europe and Mexico and Puerto Rico. I mean, it's it's the national pastime. I mean, like in, you talked about it earlier in Puerto Rico, it's baseball and boxing. In Mexico, it's soccer and boxing. That's how you get out. That's how you make it, babe. Yeah. You know, it's it's the biggest thing there is, and that's how you become. You know, that's where the superheroes, where the stars, where the heroes come from. The, the finest, you know, for the, for those young kids in difficult places that need hope, that are starting to lose hope. And where are they going to get hope? They come from poverty. They come from difficult, you know, situations. And they get their hope with that fighter. They attach themselves to that fighter. That if Julio Chavez can come out of here and make it, maybe I can too. That that when he, when he fights, he's fighting with me. I'm part of that. I'm in the ring with him. He's fighting for all of us. We're part of that. We feel the pride. Yeah. We feel the connection. That's why they stay. That's why they watch. That's why they sing songs. Because they're part of it. Yeah. It's different than over here. We're spoiled over here. We got so many other things going on in our lives that we can pick and choose from. But over there, it directly correlates to their life. That For some of them, that's their hope for a better day. That, that if... He's doing good. I can do better. I can feel good. I might not feel good for the the whole month. I might not have felt good. But when he fights, I feel good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it's powerful. Yeah. And it's, and it's so much more powerful in these countries. I mean, you, you go over in London, like you just talked about, soccer and, and, and boxing. I mean, they're huge. And... I mean, I'm sure the atmosphere, you must have felt it was like a soccer game where they're singing songs. Yeah. I mean, how great is that? To hear the echoes of songs, you know, going before the fight. Yeah. 
I remember I trained Barry McGuigan. He was featherweight champ of the world. I helped train him. And uh, he was fighting in Ireland, you know, going way back. And he was fighting in Ireland during very difficult times with the IRA, with the Protestants, the Catholics killing each other. You know, just terrible times. And um, But when he would fight on the day that Barry McGuigan would get in the ring, everybody stopped fighting. There was a truce on that day. There was a, an agreement, an unwritten agreement that nobody would hurt anybody. Mm. That on that day we're all Irish. Really? We're not Protestant. We're not Catholic. We're not. The, we're not. We're, we're Irish. We're one people. We're one country. And Barry McGuigan represents us. It's pretty damn good. It is. Too bad it can't go beyond one day. Yeah. Too bad. Maybe we could figure it out someday. But I'm I'm telling you, it was uh, it was really something. And and he would. I remember. I was the guy who got me involved was Mickey Duff. He's gone now. God bless him. But he was one of the greatest promoters of all time. And he controlled everything at a time. Him and his partners over in London. Everything. They were huge. Matter of fact, one of his partners was the owner of Wembley Stadium. You don't get much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they we would go over there. I would go over I would go over for the uh I think that's Mickey, you know. <laughs> hey, man, telling you, watch your mouth. Hey, Mickey, I'll be careful. Don't tell the and, secrets, and I Daddy. Love you. <laughs> and um, so we were, we were over there, and he's, he got me involved. And his other manager was and promoter was uh, Barney Eastwood. And, you know, the first time I'm there with him, he's fighting in King's Hall. I mean, it was... It was an old, old, old place that fit like ten thousand people, and I know where that is in in the UK. No, it was in Ireland. Oh, in Ireland. Yeah. Oh, I, there's yeah. a King's Hall in the UK. Yeah, there okay. is. And this one was in Ireland, and he's fighting. And the places we, we get there early, we go in the dressing room, and the place is starting. You know, just it's it's cavernous. It's it's. Like, Mickey Duff was so witty, and he was around boxing, so he, he had all the stories and the wit. And, you know, he would, he, you, you would, it was, you would feel the, the drafts. I mean, it was an old place with drafts, and, and like I said, it was cavernous, and, and all of a sudden people start coming in, and, you know, it, there was a chill in there because, like Mickey would say, don't expect heating in Ireland or, or air conditioning or any of those such things. You're in Ireland. And, and because it was back in the day where these old buildings were not set up with those kind of things. And the people start coming in and they would start singing songs. They were just coming in, but they would start, they would start filling the stadium with their voice. And it was, you feel it, it moved you. Go up and down your arms like you talked about. And they would start, all of a sudden you'd hear just, Barry, Barry, here we go, Barry, here we go, boom, boom. And you start hearing it. And I said, where am I? Like, you, this isn't a normal fight scene. Yeah. Where am I? Oh, my God. And, you know, going then Mickey being Mickey would come over and say, he'd come over and say, 
Uh, the Teddy, the, the Irish, that's the Irish for you. A little short on lyrics, but they make up for it in passion. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You know, and, and but man, and then it filled. It would fill 10,000 people, and then they would fit in another couple thousand in standing room that they would sell. So they literally, if you were sitting here, there was somebody standing there. <laughs> yeah. And then you got to remember it's during these difficult times, these scary times, these dangerous times. So you go in there and you can't move. And I'm in the locker room. We got to come out. We got to get to the ring. So they got to separate the crowds because there is no separation. There is no aisleways. Mm -hmm. There is no pol there is no fire code. And so the British guard with real rifles make a blanket. They make a they make a, a a separation of a tunnel to get to the ring, and they put their rifles together, real rifles together to clear the way, touching each other, where you walk in between those rifles to get there. And I mean, then you you instantly you know the reality. Uh, you're brought to the reality of where you are, and other fighters we talk about that are going on, besides this, serious fights that people are killing themselves. That you have to have British guard there with rifles loaded, and you go underneath these rifles and you get to the ring, and you get to the ring, and it takes a while to navigate through all this. And you finally get in the ring, and it's—you look out there, and it's just, just a mass of people, and they're all there for one reason. Like Rosie said, one reason. Ain't nobody looking at their hair. <laughs> <laughs> that crap. They're there for one reason. He represents us. This is our day. This is our day. Whatever happened yesterday happened yesterday. Today we stand tall. As, as no other sport does that. Yeah. No other sport does that. And then you get in the ring, and his father, his father is an old Irish pub singer. And his, his father, Pat McGuigan, all of a sudden sings Danny Boy. Oh. Oh, my God. And you're looking at these guys that, Hey, we talk the truth. We have none. They, everyone's got a scar like me. I mean, like I felt like I was with my cousins. I felt like like I'm. I'm, I'm I, maybe I found my place where I could feel comfortable. I don't have to worry. Feel so uh, so worried about this anymore, and so insecure about it anymore. Everybody's got them, and, and this is like a normal thing over here. And I look around all these hard people. All these hard people that, that wear their life on their face. Mm -hmm. You look around, you see all of them. One after another, all of them, hard people. And they're all crying. And I, I, when it was over with, I remember going, how the hell do you fight after that? Yeah. Yeah. Fight. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, but nature takes care of it. Nature takes care of it because, like Rosie, how do you stay up to 5 o'clock in the morning in your biggest moment of your life, the biggest debut of your life? How do you stay up to 5 o'clock in the freaking morning and then go out there and ace it? Because you do. Because nature takes care of it. Mm. 
And Barry went in there and he fought. And he fought. And he took care of it. He was ready. He was magnificent. Yeah. You know, I feel Tyson Fury, as crazy as a loon as he is, I feel like he brought that energy yeah. um, right. uh, against uh, Wilder. I was at that fight in Los Angeles because I was filming a movie. Incredible, right? Incredible. Incredible. Um, just his joy of his ring walk. I'd never seen a fighter that happy and that excited to get into the ring, I swear to goodness. Yeah. And yeah. he, even the the majority of the people were there for Wilder. When Tyson Fury came in, everyone stood up and turned and and it they're changed. cheering. It and it changed the energy. It just changed the whole momentum, you know. And uh, so, yeah, he, he, he brought that. Triple G, um, when he, in in the beginning of his, uh, 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 career here in the in the United States, his clan would come and and dominate. When 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 we is now called the Hulu Theater, but before it was the Madison Square Garden Theater. Yeah. Um, we were there for when he was fighting Rosado, Gabriel Rosado, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know just the fanfare from his people. From was it Kazakhstan? Yeah, Kazakhstan. Yep, Kazakhstan. It was just, it's just fantastic. I, I, I love the way you say Kazakhstan. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the way you say a lot of things. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I like when that heavy Puerto Rican accent comes out in certain words, like "deed." Oh, <laughs> you know, Fury. Talk about even... Fury. It's, you know, it's funny that you would bring him up. It's interesting because he's got quite a background. Yeah. You know, he's a gypsy. Yeah. He comes from, you know, the a gypsy, I mean, quite a background. The, the, what do they call them? The tinkers. The travelers. Yeah. 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 What I love about him is, though, he doesn't try to, like, run away from that. No, no. It, you, why some, would you run away well, from Because in some circles, there may you. be, like, viewed, people might look down at that. He embraces right. it. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I respect Celebrates about him. Celebrates it. And appreciate about him is he embraces that and puts those people on his back. Celebrates like, it. We're coming. And I'm bringing them all with me. And he yeah. does. He shows up to fight. I mean, when he got off the ground, when he got off the canvas against Wilder, I mean, I'm sure you probably felt the same way. Like, oh my God, he's getting up. Yeah. Was, did you think that that uh, the ref gave him a little bit of a gift? No. Did I, count it? Started the count? Uh, uh, yeah, I think it might have. Yeah. I think it might have been a little natural. I'm not saying it was fixed in his mind, that, but I think that when he saw that the guy was actually getting up after looking like he was done. He wasn't moving. Like, he was shot. And then all of a sudden, he started getting up. I think it was the natural human inclination saying, if he's going to do something extraordinary here, I'm not going to stop it. Exactly. You can tell when someone's trying to make it and when someone's waiting for you to count to I'm 10. Not gonna, like, I'm not going to stop it. I mean, a, a fraction of a second me pulling out a, a digit sooner is going to possibly ruin a great moment here. Right. A great special moment, and you know we uh, we got a special guy in here that does uh, that does videos, inspirational videos. He came to watch today, and um, say his name. The great Sam Rivera, Sam and, Rivera yeah, films. And he, he's pretty special, Rosie. He does, he does these videos. He puts together inspirational stuff and hooks together visual stuff with with audio stuff. But the good thing about it, it's all real. I mean, it's just real natural stuff. It's not like you went into a studio and said, I'm going to make this video so it's inspirational. No, he just takes stuff that happened and he hooks it together. 
and he hooks it together with optics, you know, with Great visual storytelling, with video, with video stuff, and he, he, and to the point that I think it's a perfect point here to what we were just talking about. Um, we, you could use that, and we did use that. And he used it. He used that when he's he used Fury laying there like he was gone, like it was all over. And then he hooked it up to audio that was connected to just a talk in general about how sometimes in life you get knocked down and you don't feel like getting up and you think it's too late to get up. And guess what? It's never too late to get up. And that, that was it. And Fury got up. And he connected this thing. It's never too late. You think sometimes it's too late. You can't get up. It's past you. It's done. It's And then all of a sudden you see Fury. You go to the visual, the video of Fury laying there. But it's not too late to get up. So anyway, I just uh, it, it connected it to what you were talking about. And uh, I wanted to make sure I, I mentioned Sam because he does some spectacular stuff that I think can help people. I think that, you know, sometimes if you're having a tough time, you know, whatever your fight happens to be, and you can see something like that, you can say, hey, there's still time for me to get up. Yeah. Well, listen, we want to be sensitive to your time. I could personally sit here and talk to you all day. But... um I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, I know that you were the choreographer on In Living Color and the Fly Girls. If we put on some hip-hop music, would you mind doing a quick demonstration for us? No. I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. I wanted to see Teddy's reaction more oh than anything. <laughs> Teddy looked like he was having a panic attack. What does he ask her to do? <laughs> but seriously, thank you so much for being here. It was a huge honor and privilege to have you here. I'm so happy that I got to meet you. And thank you to Teddy for uh, allowing me to join him for this. And, um, yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. This is a treat, too. I mean, you're it, Teddy, you know. You're, you're, you're it. And so this is an honor. It's an honor to sit here with you. It's just amazing. It's my honor to be with a, you know what, I was going to say a special person, but you already know you're special. I just want to say it's my honor to be with a good person. Oh, thank you. And um, thank you. Yeah. And I'll see you at the foundation dinner. Yeah. So thank you're a good person, too. You do it every year, you know. Yeah. So and really you help great. us do it. So thank you for helping us help other people yeah. that um, that need help. They need help getting up. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for help. Thanks to everyone for tuning in.